Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Welcome back to the podcast. And the very first thing we like to do on this podcast is figure out what the name of this podcast is and figure out the name of the room that we're sitting in. Last week, what did we call it, Dave? We had uh, the sauna. The fishing shack. The fishing shack. And the, the hot, hot box. box. But I, I was wondering if the hot box might be a little too uh, risque. Too risque. But uh, David, what do you want to call this? And you can explain to the listeners what we're sitting in right now and the temperature right now. The temperature is quickly rising. It's <laughs> kind of like we're inside of a. Um, well, it is like a sauna, but it's like it, it's completely carpeted, shag carpet everywhere. Disco ball. Disco ball. Seventy style. Seventy style. Yeah, there's Cheetos all over the ground. <laughs> Hot box. Is it, okay, give us a name for this thing. The basement. The basement. Okay, this week our podcast is called the basement. <laughs> so Coming they, to you from the basement. <laughs> the basement of Greg Hemmings. Actually, that that's I've been in their basement, Greg. The oh, Greg Hemmings now. basement. <laughs> so this this podcast is a uh, is a discussion with different leaders, and I'd say thought, you know thought leaders essentially, and different business icons, and. Uh, Dave, why don't you uh, explain to everybody your background and Leadership Unleashed? Sure. And then I'll remind you. I, I think we're going to have to get something st- straight, though. There's two Daves in the room. Okay, who's, Dave. who's David? <laughs> Which one's David? All right, you're Dave and I'm David. Oh, okay. you're Alston. All right. Your I'm last Austin. name is Alston, so this is Veal. Veal. Okay. <laughs> Not Veal. 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 Oh, sorry, Veal. Cutlets. Call me Cutlets. Uh, cutlets. Really call me Cutlets. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm a, an executive coach, and um, yeah, I, I started a column a few years ago, and it was because I'm, I'm meeting these very cool people doing really cool things, but it seems like no one knows each other. So um, the column was around just interviewing people doing interesting things, and actually it's like a lessons learned. Um, so that's why I'm excited talking to Alston today about lessons learned in this whole project that you're that you're part of thank you Cutlets. and uh, <laughs> Cutlets. and uh, and for me of course I've uh, I've interviewed many many people in uh, in the world of business and the and the world the world of, uh, of movers and shakers and uh, <clears throat> one person who I've uh, done a fair bit of work with is uh, mr. Alston here mm-hmm. and uh, we just got back from uh, Estonia and Finland and this is uh, kind of the cue but why we wanted to uh, pull David in so uh, uh, or Alston I should say also introduce yourself and then let's uh, talk a little bit about the project, what has been getting us on the road filming together. Hmm. Well, I'm uh, David Alston, and uh, I've been I've been working in the startup tech space for a long time, and uh, I've also always had an interest in in kind of. Uh, how to kind of give back a little bit too. I mean, I think we all do. So, um, what was interesting was about eight months ago, I had a chance to. I was at a conference, uh, sorry, at a at an award show, and on the fly, I I started thinking. You know, in my story, when I grew up. I got involved in tech because of a school experience that I had. There was computers in the school. These were early days, pre-Stone Age, for a lot of our listeners. Um, and uh, and it was because of that school experience that I kind of focused my, my career on tech. And if that hadn't happened, I may not have done that. So if you look at schools today, they don't necessarily focus on 
computer programming anymore. They did for a long time and they don't anymore. And there's a resurgence around the world driven by a number of movements. One very big movement is called Code.org. And this movement is how do we get kids coding in schools? This is the modern language a lot of kids will need to use in a lot of the jobs that they're going to be in. And we're just not teaching that. And so we went to Estonia, went to Finland, and we saw how this, um, this movement has been started to be embraced there. And kids are learning to code, they're learning to use robotics and everything in school. Fantastic. It and, is. And uh, I'm sure Dave, uh, Vale or Cutlass is it? Cutlass, <laughs> uh, You probably have a lot of questions um, for Alston because he, he's coming out of many years working in the tech space yeah. with Radiant 6. Now he's uh, he's got a, a, a new uh, new company called IntroHive that he's working with. Yeah. and But his major focus right now uh, is giving back. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, so I, I'm curious about that piece of it. But, um, you know, what really was intriguing for me, because <clears throat> I'm thinking with my leadership hat on here, right, mm-hmm. um, is you talk about how kids coding actually helps develop them into leaders. Mm-hmm. And I, and someone, like, I'm not a techie, right? Mm-hmm. I appreciate technology, mm-hmm. but I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't understand the building blocks, to be honest, you know? So I was really intrigued about how this... How how you see um, kids understanding this language and how that translates to leadership. So if I think back to when I started programming when I was a kid, the thing that I loved about programming was that you could be completely creative and problem doing a lot of problem solving. Mm-hmm. And if you screwed up, all you had to do was shut the computer off back then. It was a big 20. Mm-hmm. And you shut it off, <laughs> turn it back on, and you start again. So the only time, the only thing you lost was time. But you were constantly trying to problem solve. And if you think about entrepreneurship, if you think about leadership, mm-hmm. then it's it's not – in school, a lot of our uh, what we learn is around – and I know this is gradually changing, which is great. But a lot of it is like consumption of knowledge, memorization, regurgitate knowledge, yeah. right? And whether that sometimes that knowledge sticks because of our interests that we have in a subject. But a lot of times, like we completely forget it two weeks later. We haven't got a clue about what we learned, really. And when you can experience something and when you can kind of get into the nuts and bolts of something, I think that's when things starts to change because you're developing a skill set that you can apply to other things. And that's what I mean, if you look at the the job demand for computer programmers, it's definitely off the charts. Right. I mean, we're talking about, I think, 106,000 jobs by 2016 that are going to go unfilled in Canada in the tech space and computer programming and such. In the U.S., it's like a million. So and around the world, it's the same problem. We saw the same thing in, in, in Finland. We saw the same thing in Estonia. Everyone's trying to like, how do we fill these jobs? Because our future depends on it, literally. Um, but at the same time. All those same skill sets, even if kids don't decide they want to go into computer programming, they're going to still be able to use right. them as entrepreneurs or right. as or anything in any part so, of the so job. So for you, what? So for you personally, when you look at your career and what you've done so far, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you take it back to kind of what you learned through coding, like give, give us some examples of like you know how you've been able to approach a situation, you know, be possibly more innovative, uh, how you view failure, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to key in on that, uh, the failure part. Um, That's another thing. If you look at the way we learn in school, it's not about failure. It's about success, right? You have one shot, Right. right? You have to learn, study, regurgitate, tests you either... Passed or failed, right? Right. So it appeals to a certain mind. That's right. right. Um, 
and, and you can learn stuff from that method. But what programming's all about is try, fail, try, fail, mm. try, fail, try, mm. oh, success. Mm. And success in, oh, I moved past that point, but mm, let me remember how I did that. Right. So if I'm faced with that problem again, I can potentially solve it in the same way. The other thing that's interesting about uh, programming is that, especially with a lot of the, the programming languages that kids can start using, like Scratch, is that a lot of those programs are out there and available for them to look at. Like you can, you can say, "Oh, that's a really cool game. How did they do that?" And you can open up and see the code. Mm -hmm. So you can actually see the other problem solving mm -hmm. that happened mm -hmm. and how they solved it. And you could be like, "Hmm, I was thinking about it doing it differently, but I think I could actually speed that up, or I could change that a little bit and mm -hmm. make it better." Mm -hmm. So you can absorb that code, modify it, and use it. Like you wouldn't do that in traditional education, right? right. Most education is no. It has. There's no, you know, in quotes, plagiarism. Well. In real life, you borrow what's already been created. You don't recreate the wheel every time, right? right? right. Obviously, if it's, if it's a piece of art or if it's a trademark or if it's patented, whatever, you can't borrow it. But the point is, a lot of things in this world are there for you to learn from, adapt, and build on and improve. That's what, how the world evolves. So I think that's what I really like about the uh, coding in terms of teaching is because it does get at that. And do you have? And I know I'm going to I'm going to press here. Maybe you don't have it right at, mm -hmm. at the top of your head. But this is a card we pull out. Okay. So how, how did this apply to you? Like what you know? Like if, like just let's go back to you because you're yep. doing some pretty amazing things. <clears throat> this is an example of probably how you're leading, right? Mm -hmm. You know this project and how you're giving back. But if we take it back to you know this idea of you know how you learn to think creatively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was avoiding that question. I know. Because I was like, how do I pull some stuff out of that? Um, but, okay, so I think, uh, and I don't know if I'm going to directly answer this specifically in terms of an actual use case per se, but I will say I learned a lot about how, uh, what, um, what makes me tick when I went through this. Because I learned about how I how I process information, how I store information. My I don't know if others can relate to this, but the way I store information is not like sequentially, factually. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like it's not like I'm a, a tape, you know, where I'm just like hit record and like everything's there. It's not linear. I wish I could do that because you know, I remember my grandfather telling me stories when he was a kid, and he could tell me the detail. Now, may, granted, maybe he was making it all up, but over the years he told me the same story, so he was obviously good at remembering some bits and they were always seem to be the same stories right but in the way I store information is very I call it hyperlinked so I absorb information and then I kind of store it and I link it to other stuff that's that I already know and then I forget the actual facts so I just remember the links you know so it's kind of like I've got a internet brain mm -hmm. of sorts right mm -hmm. and maybe that's why I love technology I don't know but I learned that because of, how, and so I'm more of an experiential learner. I don't, I'm not the type to sit down when I get something and crack open the, the instructions. I'd rather look at it, try to figure out how to disassemble it, and then randomly go in and, and pick pages off that I need to learn more about. It, and again, it's almost like random access. I'm going in, ah, I don't, I'm stumbled on this one. And I enjoy the idea of breaking something down and solving it. <laughs> I learned all that through this kind of process <clears throat> and I and it became aware so it's a self-awareness thing and I think if you think about kids a lot of them get to high school uh, at the end and they have no idea what they want to do and a lot of what they decide they're gonna do is based on what they experienced at some point um, I, I know one of my one of my children um, she 
she didn't know what she wanted to do per se, but she had for the, for the longest time, she wanted to be an orthodontist. Well, why? Because that was the only business she ever was exposed to because of her braces, right? She was in that like 10 times, saw people around her, very happy, very, you know, enjoying themselves and focused and working on stuff. But when she broke it down eventually, it was like, I don't know if that's really for me. But, it, but it, that was her exposure to, you know, in quotes, business of sorts or the outside world, outside of school. And so I think if we expose kids to other things and in other kind of ways and jobs and careers and stuff like that, I think more kids will be like, yeah, I could try that. I think that could work for me. And it's a self-awareness. Thing. Right, right. Now. So what are you learning, Greg, as you're watching this unfold to this story? Yeah, well, it's very cool from the outside. Right? For, for those who don't know what the project is, uh, uh, David Alston and I are uh, working on a project with multiple other partners mm-hmm. called Code Kids, and we're trying to make some social change in our region of Atlantic Canada, uh, you know, piggybacking on the inspiration from Code.org in the U.S., where we really are trying to bring technology back into the schools at a very young age. So what I've learned as a filmmaker, I'm constantly, every project that I do, I get to go out and I feel like I'm in a university course, whether it's Sistema with classical music or the Paramount about old cinemas, mm-hmm. whatever documentary project we do or uh, um, you know interactive media project we do, it's something brand new. So, you know, I as well grew up with Commodore 64 and Vic 20, but I did not take the direction uh, that Alston did, but I'm being pulled back into that and realizing that these basic building blocks of our of who we are today is uh, you know we could trace it right back to grade one and two and grade three and grade four and what were our our early influences and I've been addicted to archiving things since I was a kid I would I would pull photographs together I would always uh, listen like do uh, tape recordings once I got a video camera I was always archiving things and we think about the 10,000 uh, hour rule, you know, I'm sure by now, uh, Mr. Olson here has well over 10,000 hours working in the world of technology. And that's how his brain thinks. And for myself, I've been archiving stories for just as long. And I'm always thinking of stories. So my takeaway here is we do have the opportunity as a society of parents and teachers and uh, policymakers to uh, actually shape in a positive way the future of our kids if we give them the tools. And one really neat thing that I want uh, Olson to uh, go a little deeper on is when we went to Estonia and Finland for this documentary, um, uh, we wanted to see how two countries who are uh, doing it right, quote unquote, uh, or at least they're 10 years ahead of us, um, we wanted to see what their methods were. And one of the very important takeaways that I had was they have just as much problems engaging older kids like grade 11, grade 12 as we do. Um, So they're putting all their focus on these grade ones, these grade mm. twos and grade threes. Uh, we're just editing a piece just about half an hour ago uh, uh, about one teacher talking about girls, young, young girls getting into it. Uh, in grade five, it's too late. It's way too late for girls to get engaged on, you know, to, to become even close to 50% engaged as boys are. Uh, but the kids in grade one who are engaged in technology, they continue right through. And it's not about going into the industry. It's about having the tools to do anything they want to do. And, uh, yeah, so what, what, what were your thoughts on that coming out of Estonia and Finland, uh, you know, for, for their, their theories on, on how young we have to be to, to come? Yeah. Well, first, uh, to frame it up, too, Estonia 
as a population of 1.3 million, which is actually less than, you know, if you look at the total population of Atlantic Canada. Mm -hmm. And the size of the area is probably smaller than Atlantic Canada. So even if we just focus on the Maritimes, it's probably about more like the size of Nova Scotia PEI, which is roughly the same population. Finland is about 5 million, which is about twice as much as Atlantic Canada. So we're not talking about, we're talking about uh, countries that are, similar in size and in terms of community where everyone somehow is like one degree of separation mm -hmm. from everyone else. Um, so it's entirely possible for us to do the same, accomplish the same thing. That's the first thing I want to say. Um, the second thing uh, around education, especially let me talk about the girl stuff. Um, there are paradigms and there are stigmas that have been created over time that exist everywhere in the world as to what a person doing a specific job looks like, sounds like, background, whatever, right? And if we all painted a picture um, uh, of the stereotype of a pro computer programmer, it generally would not include a girl. It just wouldn't. And that's that's just not, I mean, that's kind of like the old days, mm -hmm. but you know what? We could probably paint the same stereotype of in any job, yeah. go rewind 30 years ago. Yeah. And so we need to change that because girls can bring such amazing uh, approaches to building uh, technology for the future of where we need to go. And I think by having them not part of the community that's like driving technology change, we are missing a big Absolutely. piece of it, as we've seen in other careers, Absolutely. right? Um, we also discovered from one of the teachers when we were there, girls, like to approach technology because they want to be able to change the world or improve the lives of someone. They like it's kind of like a, more the means to the end, perhaps. Or I always get that wrong. Ends the mean, means the ends. I think it's the means to the end. And boys like to tear stuff apart, right? They love to get in and get into the guts and just like rip it. Like like with me, I love to kind of tear into something and try to learn how it's working, right? And if you get boys and girls working together on robotics and on programming, which they do in both those countries at a very early age, mm -hmm. they're both learning the positive things that they can bring mm -hmm. to solving the problem. They're mm -hmm. collaborating mm -hmm. and they're learning from each other. So they're kind of balancing each other out. They're understanding what each brings to the table and hopefully we're breaking that stereotype at the same time. Awesome. And I think we need to do the exact same thing here. There's no reason why we can't do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so I got a couple questions about the approach you're taking to, um, you because know, you want to institutionalize it in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. Make it part of core curriculum in the maritime region and hopefully through Canada and, right. you know. Um, so, so the one question I have is um, around what are the challenges associated with that? Um, and and the other question, because I know we're, I'm thinking of time here, but I just want to. I also want to. When I watched some of the stuff, and we should make sure we add links to this podcast to, to some of the stuff that you sent me, um, so you can learn more. I thought, well, if it doesn't become part of the core curriculum, how do I engage my kids in a way like how as a parent? Because I got two kids, seven, mm -hmm. four Great year question. old. Son, daughter, I would, and and I'm thinking, like I, I learned enough to go. I'm, I'm sold. I, I want my kids to learn this. I want them to teach me. Actually, I'd like to learn with them. Right. I don't want to wait for the institution, you know, the, the educational system to, to catch up to this. So, so first is, you know, you know, you've gone down this road of making a core curriculum because it's, you know, from probably for uh, to to help it scale properly, right? Mm -hmm. um, what are the challenges you're seeing with that? And then second, for those of us who want to learn or expose our kids to it, how do we do that? So. I'll use your example yourself. You said you're not a techie necessarily, and you want to learn about computer programming yourself yes. as your kids are learning. Um, 
that expression or that statement, which is, I don't mind learning alongside my kids. I'd love to. And you'd love to. Um, That kind of approach needs to be also in the education system because there's no way we can hit the pause button, stop time, go back and, and, you know, uh, teach all of these teachers in the system today how to do this or replace teachers like overnight, right, with computer science teachers because they don't exist. So we're going to have to do this in a very incremental, organic way. Okay. Uh, That's the first thing. We learned that in in Estonia and Finland. It was like, let's find the teachers that are passionate Mm. about tech. And not not necessarily skilled No, they don't have to be. Just passionate. Just passionate. They just know. The same thing. I've got a goal. I want to see this happen. I think it's the right thing. We'll figure out a way to do it and I don't mind learning as we go and learning from the, the kids kid, and learning from the kids and let the kids teach one another right and I'll learn we'll I'll be part of it and you know that's just looking at that statement alone is a pretty big shift it's huge right because teacher has to be um, colla- uh, set up like a scenario of kid will teach kid this peer to peer I don't mind not knowing it all so, I can so, so facilitator versus teacher that's right like, that's right and, and that was the other thing that we found when we went to Finland is that um Finland wasn't necessarily known as as much for like Estonia is in terms of teaching computer programming or robotics in school as a subject. They were more about how do we empower kids to use technology or or and, and teachers to use technology to teach or to help learn people learn. And so when we got to Finland, what they're known for is this concept of flipped classroom, which is the one where and, and Estonia is boring a lot of that as well, yeah. is where kids um, they work together on a problem and they help, they basically teach themselves. They do the prep work for the, the, cor- the next day's work on their own. And then they come to the classroom and the teachers kind of, they're, ba- they're, they're kind of like a coach in a way. And they're sitting back and they're looking to see kind of where the mm. kids are in terms of the learning that they picked up the day before. And, they're, and, they're, and, and at the same time, the kid says, I don't understand it. They say, well, does Johnny next to you understand it? And Johnny goes, yeah, I think I understand it. Well, you and Johnny work together on this first. So they encourage collaboration amongst peers first, mm-hmm. and they kind of help that. So the, in a way, what's cool about it is, is the whole you know student population community kind of lifts itself up, mm-hmm. and the teachers are there as facilitators, as challengers, mm-hmm. as you and know, coaches. You yeah, they're coaches, right? Perfect. Yeah, yeah. If, if you don't mind me popping in on that, coaching is, and that's why I thought you'd find this very exciting. Where all the teachers are coaches over there, and the other part of the flip classroom, you mentioned it uh, a little bit here, is here in North America, teacher shows us how to do something in the classroom. This is how it works, blah, blah, blah. Then you have to go home and do the work. So essentially the learning, how the, the research that happens in classroom, go and do the work. Over there, they flip it where at home, you go home, try to figure it out, do the research student at home, that's your homework. Just you know, do a little bit of reading, figure it out. And then at classroom, we're gonna play and we're going to execute. Yeah, we're going to experience. And we're going to do it together. And that's what I saw. Teachers, yeah. I hardly saw the teacher say a word. Yes. The teacher would go around like this, and the teacher was learning along with the students. And so you were, as a coach would love this. They were setting goals that you're going to love all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Teachers, in fact, the way, the, uh, you know, in general concept, the way the Finnish system works is that at the beginning of the year or at the beginning of each week or beginning of whatever, the students and the teachers set goals and then they try to figure out how they're going to learn 
hmm. to reach the goal together. Oh, right now, that's a like that's complete. Like the word flipped is a good yeah. word because it is a flip kind of view of it. But what's interesting too is that in order for this to happen, if you think about that, that's very customization. That's a lot. It's high customization per student, per classroom, per school. So the only way to accomplish that is to have a decentralized system. So the way the system works in Finland is that the, um, the education system sets goals and outcomes. But the teachers and the schools and the principals and the students all determine how that's going to be accomplished. Right. That is not the way it works here. It's more top down here. Yes, yes. And I know there is some flexibility in the system. I can't say it's like completely night and day, but I'm just saying for, for the most part, it's not a decentralized system. Right. And so um, if we're going to accomplish even any of it, so it's almost like we peel back the layers of the onion on this one. The more we started looking at how do we kind of properly roll computer programming into the schools and even with the experiments that we've been recording here at some of the schools, the early pilot schools have been trying this. They have been using the peer to peer model. They have been using that stuff. They have. We've had some teachers that have said, I'm going to just go ahead and try this. And they've in the, the courses that they're working on, the tech, at least on the tech courses, they have a bit of flexibility and decentralization so they can do this. But generally, they're kind of a, I think they're generally an isolated case. So we've seen how it works here. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like if this is going to take place and if it's going to become part of the overall system to properly do it, we actually almost have to start revolutionizing how education is taught. Mm -hmm. So which is the challenge, I guess. Is what you're well, which could be the challenge. <laughs> but I think this is the thing is that. What we did learn in Estonia and Finland is change just doesn't happen overnight. You can't just mandate change. Mm -hmm. You can't just tell everyone, look, we're going to just do a flip classroom next year and you're going to have to change everything. What we have to do is you need to find the teachers that are willing to do it, the principals are willing to do it, the schools, the whatever. And you're, you have to get behind them, give them the ability to gradually you know, change, make those changes, follow the results, share the results amongst the other schools, get more, I guess, if you want to call disciples around the new way of thinking around that, yeah. fund them. Yeah. help them, yeah. collaborate, build communities, it's, all that kind um, of stuff. Yeah, it's in, in my head, it's a model called tipping point leadership, yeah. right? Where you find the, 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 the disciples who will then help the rest of the tip. Yes. And that's very important there uh, to the point where um, they've got these learning centers where, and some of these teachers, like the last teacher we saw uh, that I was showing video clips of, she actually is funded to go to school, to school, to school, all across the country to share what she's learning. Uh, so they really encourage that with funding. And where does the funding come from? It comes from these foundations that are right. set up that are th they're strictly to encourage, uh, well, to, to release money for these schools, these principals, and these teachers who are volunteering to do it based on their passion. So it's not like the government's throwing millions of dollars all over the system to make this happen. Hmm. It comes from leadership within. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's almost like um, if you think of the MBIF here that focuses on helping mm -hmm. innovation happen with mm -hmm. entrepreneurs and business, it's kind of that same model. It's a foundational model where, well, and in Finland's case, it was, it was a separate, it wasn't a foundation, but it was a separate department other than like, so if you think of the delivery system being the education system, much like you'd see your doctors delivering medicine, but you have research doctors that focus on research and innovation and, you know, and improve like new medicines and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. They're not the same doctors. They're generally two separate because it's innovation happens in a totally different way than delivery, right? Mm -hmm. One's more logistical, one's more, you know, uh, a different approach. So 
that's what they've created. And I think if we have the same kind of scenario here, where we have an innovation wing, foundation, group, whatever, that's constantly encouraging, funding, bringing that information back, sharing it, collaborating, widening that thing up. But it's, it'll be constant. It'll not be like, once the flipped classroom's done, check, let's shut her down. Because I'm sure there'll be more learnings as we go. And what we learn here and how it adapts well to Atlantic Canada may be very different than Estonia. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Or it may be the same. And frankly, if we can create this link between their innovation centers and mm -hmm. Finland's innovation centers, we're all going to learn much faster. Mm. Okay, so, oh, sorry. One well, on the last one was just, so So on, on as the parent out there, as a, as a listener who goes, geez, I'm interested. I don't want to wait for this, mm -hmm. this this whole thing to take off into the education system. How do we, what, where do we go? It's a good point. Um, there are a couple things you can do. So one is you can go to like code.org and there are um, free uh, courses, languages there that you can get going with your kids. Okay. You literally can sit down, sign up to Scratch, and within a half an hour, I guarantee you, probably your older, it could be either one of your kids, will will be writing a game within an hour. Okay. And cool. you'll be writing along with them okay. because it's that simple to get started. Okay. It totally literally is. I've, I've done it. I've personally done it with my youngest, and it, and it completely took right off. It was that fast. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, another thing you can do is the, the Science East here in uh, New Brunswick, they're focused on um, uh, the STEM kind of educational um, experiences, right? And they're they're a nonprofit, and they go into schools and they work with schools. Well, we've been working with them, and they're coming out with some camps. Um, one of them, the first one will be in March. So okay. that's only a couple months away. That's less yeah. than like six weeks away. And they're going to have computer-based camps, so maybe robotics camps. And that will probably be in the Fredericton area to start with, and then it will expand hopefully this summer. So, that's an, so how do we learn about that? Um, I think if you go to Science East, check their page out. I'm not okay. sure if it's listed there yet, okay. but I know I, there's a, they've, they've committed that they're going to do this for March, learn from it, and then hopefully roll it out to many of the centers this summer. So I think that's another thing. You can get kids involved in that. I know... UNBSJ had a, had a computer programming camp. There's also Ladies Learning Code. Ladies Learning Code is a perfect example. And yep. just because it says ladies, it doesn't mean men no. are not allowed. So as long as you take a woman with you. <laughs> no. Okay? No, you don't even have to do that. <laughs> it, it, it's but, a great program. Yes. Yeah. And, and so that's a national program, all volunteer-based. And uh, one day, like a Saturday, once a month, and it rotates between the centers. One of the uh, folks that uh, Greg and I have been working with, uh, Nicole LeBlanc, and others have, have been getting this started, which is awesome. And they also have a kids learning code wing that they may also bring in on that too. So there are a number of things that are starting to kick mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is, is it's not hard to get started. It's just, no. it's just about getting, it's just about digging in a bit. It's just saying awesome. this Saturday, we're going to sit down, we're going to have some fun with this. Let's see if it's interesting. Cool. And yeah. as soon as we find out the name of this podcast, we'll also have a URL <laughs> where all these uh, podcast notes and resources will, will be there. But right now, uh, why don't you just let uh, our listeners know how to get in touch with you, David? Twitter. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, it's just Google David Alston. I'm fortunately, I, I come up first because I'm so involved in social media. But yeah, <laughs> if you go there, you'll probably see all the various links to Twitter and, you know, Facebook and all this other stuff to find uh, me. Okay. So. As, you, as you notice, we do not have a clock in the 
Greg's basement is what we're calling it. There's a but, clock right behind but, you. But what, no, I don't, I don't even want to look at the clock because oh, okay. I go by temperature. Right now, I think we're at 35 degrees Celsius, which yes. is probably close to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> Am know? I right about that? Yeah. So that means we're at the point where Dave and I do a really quick takeaway session. And you're you're, you're welcome to be part of this, Austin, as well. Um, it's been a great conversation. And it's interesting because I'm actually yeah. on this side of the microphone. I'm on both sides of the microphone in this particular story. Yeah. And traveling with this guy is hilarious, i got to tell you. Yeah. you know, and uh, I can't live without him, actually, when I, I travel. I pretty much keep him alive when we travel together. <laughs> He makes me. He makes sure I don't put my bed, my, my bag anywhere. There's bed bugs. I don't know how he's got the skill, but uh, smart man. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Dave, what's, what's some of your uh, takeaways? You know, the biggest takeaway for me is, um, and I'm, I'm, I have my coaching hat on right now, but the idea that that the teacher um, as coach. Okay, and that whole way of facilitating learning versus lecturing, you mm-hmm. know, and how that's supported that. So that's, the, I guess that would be the biggest one. And the other one I'm really liking, and, and I'm curious, you know, for myself, actually, but it's this concept of of being more innovative and, um, you know, the process of understanding code to help you learn about failure and to learn about, you know, kind of iteration, I probably, and, and all these concepts that really would support me as an entrepreneur, but I also can see how it would help my clients. So those are the big, the, the big two. Yeah, and uh, I'd say, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard to give uh, David Austin so many compliments because uh, we, we, we like to pretend. You know what? We had a roast a few weeks ago where I was the, the subject of the roast where I sat in a chair and six of my friends totally made fun of me for two hours. It David, wasn't hard. David was one of them, okay? <laughs> so, I, so this is very hard for me to be so complimentary to him. But my biggest takeaway from this is um, David is, is one of those entrepreneurs that um, has decided putting all his energy into making his community a better place, which mm-hmm. of course is, uh, uh, you know, that spreads that type of energy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I do think it's cool and it's motivating for me because, yeah. you know, I want to build my business completely to make our, our community a better place. Yeah. And uh, and that's why we tell stories like this. Yeah. And so that's my that's my takeaway. That's, yeah, it's easy to connect into the story because you know it's coming from, I mean, that's my sense and I don't know Austin as well as you do, obviously. Um, but yeah, you can tell there's a pure motivation there and that's very cool. And that's that. So, uh, why, I think why? it's now to 50 degrees. I, I, I want to rename the podcast The Boiling Point. Ah, I like that. That's good. Because yeah. we're getting pretty close to it. Okay, and actually, that's dot com. Good, yeah. David, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for being Mr. Yeah. David Alston. <laughs> thank you, Cutlass. <laughs> we're at the bowling <laughs> I'm just Greg. <laughs> Greg. So we'll uh, we'll meet next week with another uh, engaging leader or, or, or thinker, I should say. And uh, David, I'd, I'd love it to be one of your friends, uh, somebody else that you've uh, interviewed recently. And Absolutely. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait till next week to find out who that is. Okay, done. <laughs> All right. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com. 
Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.